So I'm sitting outside and Pope is out west, outside and out west. Is this any way to start and celebrate a new OHL season? I think not. Unfortunately for you, Pope is not out west because he's auditioning for jobs in the Western Hockey League. He will be back as we start the season together on Friday, October the 8th. Of course, you know that the new OHL season is getting underway in one day less than that. Thursday, October the 7th, the OHL is finally back. So that is absolutely cause for celebration. I can tell you that we're also getting back into the regular swing of things with this podcast. We have gone through the alphabet tour of the OHL through the summer, kind of helping you uh, get back in touch with your team and find out where your team's opponents stand as the 2021-2022 campaign gets underway. But we are very excited for that. And we've got some new things in store for you or some familiar things, I think, with the season ahead. Watch for more coffee reviews. Anybody that's been around this league for more than a minute might remember something called Tuesdays with Montague back in the day. Well, there's a little homage to that coming your way as well. And hopefully some more surprises as we try to provide more content for you on these channels with the league getting back underway and another season just around the corner. So reminder to you, farwellandpope at gmail.com is our email address. If you want to hear from a former player on OHL Stories, let us know. We'll try to track them down and get them on this podcast for you. Uh, Give the podcast a follow and uh, send us a review. We're happy to hear from you on that and tell your friends that OHL Stories is featuring the stories of some of your favorite players and current players too as we... uh, bring you with us around the league for another season. And we're back into that, as I said, this week, as we're finished with the alphabet tour. And now it's time to talk to another former player from this league who is back in this league as a coach. So we've seen that happen with a number of players over the years. And this is now just the latest. And he's picking up for a franchise that is uh, one of this league's premier franchises right now, not too far removed from three Memorial Cups in less than a decade. So these are the kinds of stories we hope we continue to bring you as this season gets underway and there is so much more ahead. Believe it or not, we have already reached now almost 50 episodes of this podcast. So keep the reviews coming. Tell your friends, like I said, email us anytime, farwellandpope at gmail.com. And we'll be back together, at least together virtually in the same city when uh, our podcast is ready for next week, the first week of the OHL season. And it makes sense. I can let this cat out of the bag right now. The commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League will be our guest next week. How did it all come together? What does it look like with Eastern Conference playing only Eastern Conference teams, Western Conference playing only Western Conference teams? And are there contingency plans? I don't, we don't even want to talk about them, right? We've got the vaccination policies in place across the Ontario Hockey League. But you know the league is prepared for the worst should the worst come to pass. So we'll check in with the commissioner next week. But right now, it's time for a conversation with the all-time points leader in Oshawa Generals history. Speaking of proud franchises, he went on from the Oshawa Generals to a 14-year National Hockey League career, more than 800 games played. And he's now back in the Ontario Hockey League as the coach of the Windsor Spitfires. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Enjoy this conversation with Mark Savard. Obviously, uh, Mark, with you, the OHL story is kind of coming full circle being back here now as a head coach. But before we get to that and everything in between, because there's so much to talk about, uh, I'm really curious as to the start of all of this, because here's a Peterborough kid that ends up being drafted in the OHL by the Oshawa Generals. How does that go over on the home front? Uh, well, it, I mean, it's obviously a, a, a tough thing, you know, the, the biggest rivalry in junior hockey probably. So, uh, yeah, it was it was tough. But uh, Peterborough's where I make home now still and uh, on the lakes up there. But Oshawa was probably one of the, you know, the best four years of my life in, in hockey for sure. When you uh, were drafted to Oshawa, were you watching the draft and being like, please not Oshawa, please not Oshawa, please not Oshawa? No, yeah, I, I was, yeah, you know, I liked <laughs> Oshawa. I mean, we had some rivals, obviously, but no, I, I was just excited to go to any team and get an opportunity, and it had happened to be Oshawa. And like I said again, I, I really enjoyed my four years in, in Oshawa. You, you talk about making the most of an opportunity uh, to this day, four hundred plus, uh, the franchise leader in in points for that for that team. And you talk about how storied the history is. Did you think that thirty years plus later you'd still be uh, at the top of that board? No, uh, for sure. I, I mean, uh, especially when John Taveras went there late and he was put, making a push for it and they got traded to London and then, or, uh, I would have lost that. But no, you know, it, it, it's something that you didn't think about when you were playing, but, you know, to see it still carry on, I'm sure at some point it'll, it'll be beaten. Every, every record's there to be broken. Maybe not Gretzky's, but, but mine will be. Uh, but no, again, it, it's such a great accomplishment, something I'm proud of. And they put my jersey in the rafters, obviously, and that's another thing that was a big moment in my life. So, uh, again, back here in the OHL, and, and I'm excited to, to get an opportunity to go back to Oshawa as a coach and play in, in, in that building. You mentioned the Jersey retirement. What was the phone call like when you found out they were going to do that? Um, it was emotional, to be honest with you. I, you know, it was a very emotional night for my, my family and I. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was just I, – I was lost for words, to be honest. And, and the whole night came together really nicely. And, and Rocco Tui and the Oshawa Generals organization did a fabulous job. And it's, it's a day that I'll never forget. I got to ask one more on the point scoring pace, Mark, because uh, Stan Butler, well-known and highly regarded in this league, future, uh, previous guest on this podcast, so he knows we love to tease him a little bit. But how do you put up 139 points playing for Stan Butler? The joke is he lines up his team in the one 2 trap during the national anthem. Like, how are you putting up points like that for him? Uh, daily discussions in his office, so <laughs> I was able to win the odd battle. But no, I uh, Stan let me basically play two minutes on the power play, and and I was able. And I think he was that was early in his coaching days, so maybe he tightened up a little bit. But no, he he let me do what I wanted basically on offense as long as I was respectful defensively, and I I tried to do that. So it, it was a decent relationship that way. Stan can be a, an intimidating individual at times. Was it tough going in there as like a sixteen year old? Uh, it was, but again, uh, he, we had our moments, but again, you know, I was always a confident kid and, and I think that's what ended up pushing through. And he, you know, obviously if you look at that 139 point year, I I don't know if the second guy in points had maybe 65 on the team. So, uh, he used me in all offensive situations and, um, you know, I was able to play with all kinds of players and, and spread out their point totals all across the board. So Stan used me in all situations. We had our moments, like I said, but yeah, he could be intimidating at times, but uh, he didn't scare me that much. <laughs> it's hard to get scared when you're putting up points like that. He'll, uh, he'll forgive you pretty quick, I guess. When you look back, Mark, uh, what would you describe as your 
welcome to the OHL moment when you realized, yep, I've made it to this step of my hockey career? Well, maybe my first preseason game, uh, five on five brawl I was in. So I'm like, whoa, I don't sign up for this. So that's back in the older days. But uh, yeah, playing Peterborough actually, five on five preseason brawl. Uh, I still remember the guy fat that I fought this Pat Paoni guy behind the net and I didn't do so well. I think I tried to knock him out with my first punch and ended up with a big goose egg on the back of my head. He might've hit me a couple of times, but uh, that was one of the moments. But again, I, I think just scoring your first goal. Uh, I remember I got an OT winner my first year in Sudbury and, you know, those are the little moments that, that you remember. I think that, that still to this day. When Oshawa goes to Peterborough, you mentioned it. It's one of the, if not the best rivalry in the Ontario Hockey League. There's that we've heard from people on this podcast. Farzi, I think we've talked to way too many Oshawa and Peterborough people no on this podcast. There's a lot it of is, connections. It's the best rivalry, Mark yeah. said so. Yeah, and it is. And and they've said like when you're on that drive to Peterborough, it just feels different. You know, you're heading into battle. What was it like as a Peterborough kid going back there? Well, intense, and and you know, had a lot of family at the games and but it was it was quite the uh quite the battle you know I played really well against the Pete's I my, my numbers I don't know if I is there any way to track them but I would say I had some some big nights but but some good battles and I remember back to when I was playing with them and Bill Stewart was coaching us in my final year and I don't know if you guys remember this but it, it was a really really ugly series a lot of heated moments and it, you know something you regret a little bit but you know you do what the coach said so we beat them in game six in Peterborough and we didn't, we went off the ice and didn't shake their hands. And it was something I still hear about today, but it was, uh, that's something you wish you had back, but that was the coach's decision, but it was an ugly, ugly series. And we were able to move on and, and win the, the OHL that year and go to the Memorial cup. I, I was just going to take it there. Cause you're talking about that series under Bill Stewart. I think it was only 18 losses in the season compared to 41 wins, but uh, you get a chance to do something that I wonder, Mark, how special it felt at the time, because when you're in this league and you know it's a short career, right? Five years at the most. And that that pinnacle is the Memorial Cup. You got to be there. Did it did it dawn on you at the time? I think it did. You know, we went through so much heartache in my first three years there. And then when Bill Stewart took over, you know, we had a little bit of a rough start. And then we started to win a lot of hockey games and we felt confident and and it was something that I wanted to do. I knew I you only play in the league. Like you said, it could be five years. I kind of thought, you know, I'm out of here after four. It's my last go at it. So I really wanted to do it. And we were fortunate enough. We played against the Ottawa 67s too, who were ranked number one in the country the whole year in the CHL. So we had, they had Al McCauley and, and, and Brian Killer obviously was coaching them. And I can remember uh, game six. I'm actually getting a little bit of chills. We, we played them and in overtime. I scored 17 seconds in. And we went to the Memorial Cup and it was, it was, it was unbelievable. But I remember Bill Stewart coming in the room and he had a MasterCard. And on the MasterCard at the Memorial Cup, it had a picture of Alan McCauley on it. And they had already prepared because it was in Hull. And they already had the Ottawa 67s going to the Memorial Cup. And I can remember all the boys saying, no, 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 no. So I think that really fired us up, but it's something I'll never forget. There's some motivation, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Bill Stewart. There's lots of stories around this league surrounding that guy. What was he like as a coach back then? Uh, he was, he was tough. He was a tough guy and he expected, you know, the best out of you every single night. And, uh, he, he, he taught me a lot though. Um, I, there was times I had to tell him, I can't, I can't go on the ice. Like I, I'm, I'm, I can't go out there. <laughs> Dude, I'm tired. Like, so, but he used me as, as much as anybody has. And, uh, we still have a little bit of a relationship, but again, 
at the end of the day, he was, there's some stories that circulate that I, I'd have to believe most of them are true because I did play for him and I seen, seen him, but uh, at the end of the day, he's, he's a winner. I, and there's no way to deny that he wins at every level he's at, but he goes a little over the top and I don't think as a coach, I might go that deep, but, but again, he, he really helped me along the way. Are there any of those stories that you have about him maybe going over the top shareable on this podcast? Well, or, or any Bill Stewart? I, I kind of got a bit of a gentle one that, that was that was about myself. So I remember we were playing before Christmas, and at Christmas, as you know, everybody gets a week off. And um, I, I had two games before Christmas where my minutes just went whew, right down, and I'm like, "What's going on here?" And he was all over me. He was he was kind of all over me all the way up till Christmas. You know, we could win a game five four, and I'd have two goals and two assists, and he'd come in and be like, "You know, what did you? Where were you tonight?" Like, and I'm like. He's like, I don't know. I thought I played okay. So, but anyways, at Christmas, I went in his office after those two games. I said, like, and I like I said, he was on me a lot. And I said, Bill, I said, I've been here for four years, you know, and I've been through some coaches. I had Rick Kornacki actually too. And I said, you know, maybe it's not working out. I said, maybe it's for the best. I'll go home for Christmas. I'll ask. We had Wayne Daniels as our general manager. I said, I'll talk to Wayne Daniels and just say, like, you know, it, let's break, like move me, like, you know, let me go try to play somewhere else. It's not working out. And I can remember I'm in his office. It took a lot for me to go in there. Cause like I said, he was a scary guy. Like, he had some big hands on him and he was a scary guy. And he just looked at me and he started laughing in my face. And I'm like, what, what's so funny? He goes, if you think I'm going to trade the best player in the league, you're crazy. Go home and have fun. That's what he said. So it's something I'll never forget. Yeah. He was, he was a tough guy, but when he said that, he, he really caught my attention. It was also close in that uh, Memorial Cup for the Oshawa Generals uh, and you, Mark. Uh, semifinal loss in overtime. Uh, do you remember the, the moment, the feeling, when the Hurricanes scored the winner? I think it was double overtime and maybe triple. I'd have to look back. I, I, I know it went more than one extra frame, and then I can remember it because uh, I, I, I don't believe I was on the ice, but they ended up somehow – we had a big breakdown and they ended up almost a three on one. And and it was, yeah, it was in our net and it was, it was heartbreak because we knew that we played hall in the round Robin and they, they put a smoke on. It was probably the worst game all year that we all played. We all had our worst game at the same time. And I think they beat us eight one or something like that. It was, we were really embarrassed by that. So I think that was deep down our hunger to get back because they were in the finals hall. And at that point, the Quebec League had loaded up. Like, they load up their top teams back then. And we wanted Adam again. And, again, we fell short to Lethbridge. And they were a good hockey club. They had Byron Ritchie on the team. I think he might have scored the goal. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a moment that I'm thankful now that I'm here again. It's something that, you know, hopefully I can do even as a coach, try and get back there and, and win that Memorial Cup. Well, I know for a lot of people around this league, it's good to have you back in this league. That's for sure. Um, you're, you're sitting in Windsor right now as we do this podcast. That's a really nice arena down there. It didn't used to be. Do you have any, uh, <laughs> do you have any good stories of your time in the league when you were in the old Windsor barn? Because we get a lot of them on here. Yeah, me and Billy laugh at this one. Uh, Billy, the, the general manager, Bill Bowler, because I came in and I was young and that building was scary. It was, I've never been really scared in the OHL. I said there was two buildings I was scared. It was Windsor. And it was Kingston because Kingston was pitch black and Brett Lindros was running around the ice. He didn't know where Puck was. But when we came into Windsor, we came in this little barn. I remember going out for warmups, like seats duct taped together, people throwing stuff at you. Like it was just crazy. They could almost reach you. And I remember we're playing. First off, Ed Jovanovski scored a hat trick. Two shots from center, two slap shots. The, the red line was like a blue line. And then Bill Bowler had four assists. I said three of them were from the bench. And then. <laughs> 
And then the guys behind the net, I could never forget the guys sitting behind the goalie throwing pennies at him all night. The refs would come, scoop the pennies, and they'd come back, tell him, please don't. No one took him out of the rink, penny after penny. And I can remember people like on the bench, they can grab my shirt, like they were grabbing me. And it was like, come on, like this is crazy. But yeah, that building was a scary one to play in. And, and I remember that like it was yesterday. So what's it like now, Mark, coming back into obviously the different building, but against this franchise and with Bill Bowler now as the, the GM bringing you back in as his head, head coach in Windsor? Well, I, I can tell you something like in our interview process, I never mentioned that I beat him by four points when I beat him for the scoring title at 139. He was second behind me, but no, it, it's great. I mean, uh, me and Billy have hit it right off. We're almost identical people, actually. It's kind of funny. You know, we play the same type of game. We're both offensive guys, so we see the game the same way. But, you know, to come back here to Windsor and, you know, my best friends from here, actually. So I've been coming up for the last 10 years. We, you know, we play in each other's member guests and our families are really close. So it kind of it kind of worked out really well. I'm actually living with him still this until I get my place in October. So it, it was a smooth transition. Uh, I didn't have a lot of time. though. That's the one thing I wish I'm, I feel like I'm behind the eight ball a little bit with camp and stuff. But I'm catching up. The season doesn't start till October 7th. So Billy keeps reminding me that. So just just slow down. But um, and it's tough right now. Nine guys at NHL camps. We have a good, good core of players. So, you know, we're working with two lines right now in 5D. So that's been a little bit of a, a tough thing to navigate through in practice. But we're getting by. And I got a great staff here with associate coach Jared Smith, who's been here for seven, eight years. So he knows the ropes and everything around here. And then Andy Delmore, who, who I'm friends with already. And I knew him coming in, playing against him. So we got a nice staff. So I, I feel comfortable Arena's gorgeous, like you said. They redid their dressing room this year. It's it's beautiful. And all the people around here have been nothing but helpful. If I'm a setup guy in the OHL, I'm asking for a trade to Windsor so I can play under Mark Savard and Bill Bowler. Like, how do you not just want to go play there? <laughs> no, it's it's exciting, you know, and I got a lot of kids asking questions. We have we a pretty good offensive crew, so I've been trying to work with them as much as I can. And I think we got some guys that are gonna put up some decent numbers this year, and we're gonna have a lot of fun. How did the whole thing come about, Mark? You were in St. Louis last year and now uh, in Windsor. Well, I, I, this is something I always wanted to do. I actually never wanted to really coach in the NHL. I always wanted to coach in the OHL, help kids move on to that next level. And in order to get some, uh, you know, some reps and get more, you know, more skill, more, learning more from, from being a coach, I, this was the easiest route for me. Craig Barube, I played with, he gave me an opportunity to come to St. Louis. Uh, how do you pass that up? So I went up there and then uh, when this – you know, a couple jobs opened up. I put my name in. I, I had interviews with Oshawa actually right down to the last two guys and it didn't work out. And then when, when Trevor Lachowski left, I, I thought, you know, it's a good opportunity. And then me and Billy met. And after the first meeting, I was like, yeah, this is, this is a place I, I think. And, and we just hit it off from there, did a couple more interviews, came down to Windsor, met some people and yeah, here we are today. And, and like I said, me and Billy were, were, were two identical guys. We almost think the game the same and, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. Completely different eras, as we've already alluded to, and, and those points you were putting up. Sometimes we hear just, uh, you know, in, in the media that it's difficult for a guy that had the success and had the skill to translate that into teaching it to players. What's what's your approach? How do you do that? Well, it, it, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to kid anybody. I'm an offensive guy. And, and the nice thing about being an offensive guy is I know you can't direct offense. You got to let the players do their thing. So as a coach, that's kind of how I am. But you know, you got to be respectful defensively. I, you got to have a guy, you know, coming back hard. I, I'm a real guy. I'm tracking back, you know, and defensive work. I want to get the puck up to the forwards as quick as we can. So you're going to have to play defense a little bit as quick as you, as quick as we can get out of our zone. So 
you know, there's a lot to be taught. Um, you know, I learned a lot from Craig Berube. And the nice thing is I played for some great coaches, Claude Julian, uh, you know, Bob Hartley. So I'm able to pick and choose stuff from those coaches that coach me and, and, and move it to what I, how I feel I want to coach the team. So, and, and obviously input from Jared and Andy, they've had great input so far. So there's a mix of everything. But again, I, I'm able, you know, power plays my baby. Like no one's touching the power play. That's the thing I'm going to work with the guys with because, you know, I, that's, that's what I did in St. Louis. You know, I, when I coached St. Louis in the power play, we went from 13th to second in the league. Um, so I, I feel confident in my ability there. And, you know, just getting behind the bench again, working with the guys, that's going to be the, the, the transition I'm going to have to make. But we got six preseason games here, so I'm going to be able to adjust that way. Without giving us too many trade secrets, you mentioned that power play and obviously power play specialists like yourself. What makes a good power play to you? I think puck movement. I really do. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that a guy standing on the half wall with the puck and looking at guys ain't going to get you anywhere. So I think that's for, we call it no dusting. Like you, you move the puck, you have it on your tape, hit another guy, get that PK moving around. So that's, that's kind of in a short form, kind of where I see things, but Again, different looks, you know, not always the same guy in the same position. Like, let's change positions. Let's let's get different looks so teams can't check easily, you know. So instead of having Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews in the same spot every time, let's flip-flop. Let's get different looks. So I think that's another thing. But but besides that, like you said, I'm not going to give away too many things, but I, I think those are my keys, some, some of my keys. You may have been within a shot of uh, advancing to a Memorial Cup final uh, but in the OHL, but obviously in the NHL, you did get to spend a day with the Stanley Cup. How did you spend that day? Well, that was an incredible day. I spent it in, in Peterborough. I brought it to my golf course, let people come in. And we, we did a thing and the line was out the, you know, out on the main road. There was actually police kind of escorting cars through just so they could come in. Uh, it was an amazing moment. And then I got it back to my house where I had a party and I had a band and family and all my best friends and, it was an incredible night and uh, it's something I'll never forget. It was, it was a really special day. No disrespect to anybody that played with you in Oshawa, but looking at the rosters, your name stands out more than any other throughout your time in Oshawa. But is there any player that you played in Oshawa that um, stands out to you during your time as a general, as a teammate? Um, I had a couple of guys that came through, um, you know, Larry Courville. I can remember he played a little stint there. He was a good player, played on the world juniors. Uh, Wayne Primo came through for one year and I only got to play with him in the playoffs. Actually, I broke my ankle first game I played with him, but uh, you know, it was like, there's like, like John Tripp. There was a John Tripp when we went to the Moral cup, this guy was a mammoth guy and just, he was a scary guy to be on the ice. That's the one thing. And in, in, in my final couple of years, I, I could do anything on the ice. I wanted, I had like Nathan Perot. I had John Tripp. I had Marty Wilford, Jeff Ware. Like it was, it was unbelievable how, how tough we were. And, uh, but John Tripp sticks out a bit because I thought that he would have a future. You know, he, he did everything really well, but at his, he didn't want to fight. He didn't enjoy fighting. And, and I think that held him back a little bit because he was as tough as, as I've seen in the game. The game has changed so much. You talk about that, that, line brawl you were a part of in your first game stuff just doesn't happen in the league anymore how do you feel about where the game is at today versus where it was when you played it well I I I mean just watching training camp it was that was an eye-opener for me I don't even know if there was a slash you know a mad slash at somebody so uh that was a bit of an eye-opener but again you know these guys are huge like I don't remember them being this big when I played like every kid on our team I feel is 
you know, six, four, six, five. Like, I don't know if there's steroids in the food they're eating or what it is, but they're mammoths. So it's amazing. That's the most, that's been an eye opener too, is the size of these kids compared to when I played. I mean, you had, you know, you had at least six, seven guys at five, 10, five, seven in there. I, I mean, we're lucky to have, I think we got two guys at five, 10, everybody else is bigger. So uh, that's, that's, that's incredible. But again, it is less physical, it's it, there's more speed to the game it's more open which is kind of nice so we're able to coach that a bit again teaching guys to hold up a little bit and try and be a little bit trickier is, is going to be a test but we'll work with it you mentioned Craig Bruby a couple times uh what do you take away from your time with Chief oh I, I mean just I, I learned so much from him behind the scenes I didn't get that behind the scene look as often obviously being a player uh you know just the way he worked with his veteran core having meetings with single guys a lot of the time uh, instead of centering anybody out. I don't think I ever seen him center a guy out in the dressing room, uh, you know, either waited till until the next day at practice to talk to him in his office. So little things like that, but again, really stress in defense, um, you know, cause that's what win championships at the end of the day, you got to be good defensive. You could score eight goals a game, but it, it, it's not going to do anything in the playoffs. So uh, a lot of little things like that, Mike Van Ryan, um, Steve Odd, who's a Windsor Spitfire. Those guys are incredible too. You know, Mike Vanren, his systems are, are incredible. So I, I still call him a lot, getting some system stuff from him. But again, it, it, I'm still a student of the game, so it's amazing to have those guys on your side that I can call any day. I've already called them a couple of times through training camp. I'm, I'm having trouble with this. Here you go. This is what you do. So it's nice to have those guys to talk to. Give our best to Rhino next time you're talking to him, former head coach of Kitchener. Keep I will. Up. I will. Sure. He's a beauty. Oshawa Generals, obviously, we've talked about the tradition in the Ontario Hockey League, and then you get drafted, Mark, into the National Hockey League by another team with so much tradition in the New York Rangers, an original six team, obviously. What was NHL draft day like for you? Draft day was a struggle. I, I tell you, draft day was a bit of a struggle. I, I went in the fourth round. I had 139 points that year. Um, and watching guys go ahead of you that you're like, God, I, I think I'm a little better than him. I think I'm better. You know, so the go in the fourth round was, was a bit of a, a heartbreaker, I guess. But to go to the Rangers was, it was amazing. And, and, and going in there and having some good camps early and then going there as a 20 year old. And I, I really had an, an amazing camp. I, I, and everything I touched went in the net. It was just like, this is, I'm destined to make this team this first year. And, and I did. And I got to play with Wayne Gretzky. I mean, there, there, two years, my first two years in the National Hockey League, play with your idol. I mean, I don't know if there's anything better. So really, I, uh, to learn from him, to watch him, he wasn't at his best, obviously. It was the last two years of his career, but still in the power play, when he got behind the net, the crowd on their feet, no matter what, bench on their feet, something was going to happen. <laughs> but sometimes it was for them at the end of his career, but still, he still made some great plays and uh, just to, those last couple games to be on the bench with them in Ottawa. I mean, he had 15 curtain calls in Ottawa. By the time he came out, he had nothing on his last curtain call. I think it was unbelievable. And then to play in the last game as a Ranger with him in New York. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So I couldn't have drawn a better script. I've been very fortunate. And again, I think that's, you know, in life things are meant to be. And I think that's why I'm in Windsor right now. I heard there was quite a party after that final game. Was it at the Empire State Building? Is that where it was? No, actually, unfortunately, it was at the World Trade Center. At oh, that World Trade Center. Oh, wow. On the millionth floor. And Mario was there. Paul was there. You know, star actors were there. And I can remember being there. Yeah, it was a pretty special night. So, what based, was, sorry, go ahead. So I was just going to say, just quickly, based on that, though, and we just passed 9 11. I mean, my God, what does that feel like for you? Well, 
it was a tough time. I mean, I had been traded to Calgary that summer that, that it happened, but literally we, we had a, had a party there, you know, the year before. And it was, uh, yeah, I was in shock as the rest of the world was. I couldn't believe it was happening. And, and uh, you know, I, it, it really, it really was a tough, tough day, a couple of tough weeks, actually. And everybody knows, you know, everybody knew a lot of people too, that it happened to because from New York and, uh, yeah, it's something that I think about often, and obviously that date just went by, so it was a real, uh, you know, it's a tough day all the time. If I can circle back, because you talk to former NHLers all the time, and they, you know, your your idols become your rivals essentially. Um, but you got to play with your idol and almost every Canadian kid's idol in Wayne Gretzky. Did it ever get t- like? Did you ever get over the fact of walking into the dressing room and being like, "That's ninety nine right there." Uh, <laughs> And the funny thing is, is that, you know, you're around him and you're like, and he's like, you know, he'll, he'll actually tell you that. Just, just, I'm normal. Just be normal. You know? like, <laughs> you're not normal. You're not, you're not normal, but yeah, you're not normal. He <laughs> feel comfortable. And, um, you know, always came out to dinner with the guys. He had a, obviously had a tough time going anywhere. I mean, let's be honest. He, he was known anywhere he went. So he would, we would go to dinner and he would sneak into dinner and, and in the back tour and come sit down and have dinner. And then away he went. So, but, you know, and it, he was special. He was a good guy, good to me. And actually, funny story, quick, when, when he, um, when I came to the NHL, Nike was a cool thing. I had all Nike stuff. And I was, you know, I'm a real equipment guru, stick guy. Gretzky bought Hesper. So I, next day, come in, Gretzky's like, Savvy, you, you want to wear some Hesper? I'm like, yeah. So I had to tow Hesper, and then the boys come in, and they're just all over me. I got the, all the Hesper on. They're like, we thought you were a Nike guy. I'm like, yeah, but. Gretz got me to wear the Hesper, right? So uh, it was kind of, it was a funny day, but yeah, I was a Hesper guy for, for a little while before he left. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned his records before, and obviously everybody knows him as the uh, greatest setup man the, ever to play the game. And you were no slouch either when it came to assists. Did you pick up any uh, tips from Gretz? Oh, for sure. I mean, just, just his patience using the net, um, you know, and, and, and just being able to find that late guy coming in, like a lot of guys carry it in the zone and you make a play off the rush. He would take it right down the corner and find that late defenseman coming down. He'd find Leachy coming in all the time on the far side. I don't know how they did it, but it just seemed to work. So I learned a lot from him that way. And, and, and just, just being a professional, but watching him, you know, every day and, and, and trying to keep, you know, keep a straight face and do everything right. And, and I, you know, I tried to follow that lead for my career. How cool was it playing in Madison Square Garden every night? It was it was amazing. I, I mean, I was so young, uh, twenty and twenty one. It was actually a little scary at times. Just the city, such a big city, and I actually lived by the practice rink in Rye, New York. But to drive in for you know forty minutes, sometimes an hour, and then you know park at Madison Square Garden. We used to have day rooms downtown, and you know go have a meal, go up to your day room, come back down, and then head over to the garden for the game. And, just a smell. And I can just remember it was, it was, a, it was an amazing place. How did project 91 come about? Well, you know, obviously we all know my, my career ended abruptly with concussions and it just, it was just something I felt I needed to do. And, 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 you know, Dr. Tater out of Toronto, uh, he really helped me out along the way. Uh, so I just thought that I got to do this and, and this is how it started. I got a buddy here, the buddy here in Windsor. That, I, that I'm living with right now, me and him, you know, put our heads together and, and my wife was our, uh, she did everything actually. We just kind of put our heads together, I guess. But yeah, it came about and we did great. You know, the first year, uh, first six months, I think we made 20 grand and I matched it with 20 grand and we donated 40 grand. And then, you know, 
we kind of s- stopped for a bit and then we got a little bigger with, we added a couple of guys to help us out. So my wife didn't do everything. And now we're, you know, we got five guys doing it and uh, yeah, we're doing really well. We're adding to that number every day. Back to the, uh, the NHL days real quick. What was it like in Atlanta? I loved it. I, I was a golfer. So I lived at TPC Sugarloaf. So the, the nice thing about Atlanta is that, you know, you played hockey. We weren't the greatest team. We had a lot of great players. We weren't the greatest team. But at the end, when you left the rink, it's like no one knew you played. Like we had one guy following us, one media guy. I forget his name, but we had one guy. So it, it was a slow death, I think, for that franchise, unfortunately. But um, good players. You know, my career really took off there under Bob Hartley. And I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Atlanta and Duluth. Lemon and Duluth made a lot of friends that I still have today. And it was a great uh, neighborhood. And it's a part of my life that, you know, I'll never forget. And on the ice, uh, Kovalchuk, uh, Heatley, not, not too bad for Hosa. <laughs> line mates. Yeah, Hosa was there, yeah. No, I went through some some great line mates, power plays. Our power play was top in the league a lot of years just with Hosa. Like you said, Hosa, me, Heatley, Kovalchuk. I mean, the, the name goes on. So, uh, but yeah, no, I got to play with some good finishers and that really helped my game for sure. Do you have any good stories about a guy like Kovalchuk or Heatley? There's a lot out there. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you one about Kobe, actually. When I first got to Atlanta, I came in and we played together. And, uh, you know, we're going – and I, I'm passing it to him. And, or no, he's getting the puck on breakouts, trying to go end to end. Or we're in the zone, I give it to him, and he's trying to deke a guy and shoot it. And I remember going back to the bench, and I just – I had enough. And I said, I said, Kobe, I said, listen, I said, I, I don't care if I score. I, I want you to score. So do me a favor. When I give you the puck, give it back to me because I'm not going to leave the building with it. I said, I'm not leaving, I promise. I'm looking to give it back to you so you can score. So that was one of our funny moments, and we both remember that like it was yesterday because he wasn't very happy with the comment, but it was uh, being honest. Guy wants to puck. Simple as that. Exactly. You mentioned golfing uh, a minute ago. I want to come back to that because didn't you use an off-season at one point to to make the the men's mid-amateur in Canada? Yeah, so I've played, uh, I think I've played probably five mid-amateurs now, a couple of amateurs, that I, and I've qualified for a couple of amateurs I didn't bother playing in. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've really, that's what I've done kind of where I had, when I wasn't coaching and just recuperating, I was golfing. And I really took a loving to it. Uh, I, didn't, I started playing when I was 20. I played right-handed, didn't really enjoy it, switched to left-handed at 21, and then, you know, about, I think, three years, four years, became a scratch golfer, and then just... Loved it. Put the time in. I love going to the range, hitting balls all day and then playing. So I, my wife allows me to play because she's great uh, five to six times a week. So she'd rather me playing than being around the house too long. I'm going to go tell my girlfriend the same thing there you go. Uh, so, so I can get out five or six times a week. Um, your career really took off and your prime really was in Boston. Uh, you can't say the Boston Maroons without thinking about Zidane Ochara. Was he a fitness freak as much as he is almost as his career comes to an end back in those days? Oh yeah. He was uh, amazing. And, and yeah, he never left the gym, never left the ice, you know, like our plane was late half the time because he wasn't at the plane because he's still working out, but amazing character, like just a good guy. And, and, you know, that year I was a, a free agent. So, and he was too. And I remember on the, Peter Shirelli called my agent, let's say at two o'clock in the afternoon and said, like, here's our offer for Mark. And then I hear an hour later, that's a, you know, chair assigned with the Bruins. So I remember calling my agent saying, well, where else are we going to go? And we had other offers that were kind of around the same. He 
said, no, no, they, you, they still want you, but you got 30 minutes to, to answer now. So, uh, and I thought, you know, what, this is a, this is a step this organization's taking and uh, I wanted to be part of it. And it was a real, real, I was really fortunate to play with Zeno Chair for as long as I did. When we talk about this game, Mark, and, and those who play it, that, that warrior mentality gets discussed quite a bit. How difficult was it for you uh, towards the end when, when you were injured and I'm sure you were just chomping at the bit to be out there? How tough is that on a high-performance athlete such as yourself? Well, it was incredibly tough. I mean, to go from, you know, I, I don't even know my last year, maybe 85 points or whatever, and, and feel like it was an off year to come out the following season and get hurt and then just just never feel the same on the ice, never feel like I can think like I did, you know, be as quick on the puck and do stuff that I did and see guys like I used to. Uh, it, just to go on that decline like the next day, it was like, oh, God, you know, it was just like it was really tough. It was a really tough on me and my family, you know, and uh, it was a really tough time in my career. But, again, you know, uh, the support I had and, and, and able to, you know, realize slowly that hockey you know it's not everything and and then my kids being able to coach my kids through the peter opitz minor system both of them uh, my son's gonna play for the sioux greyhounds this year so um you know exciting times and and and, and like i said again everything's meant for a reason so that, that maybe that was the reason i coached them and get myself prepared to do what i'm doing today what do you think about the first uh, greyhound spitfires matchup <laughs> We've had some chats already, so there might be some friendly money on the line and maybe some other things, some chores for him because he doesn't do any more chores anyway. So, uh, but yeah, we're really looking forward to that matchup. I was thinking about another matchup because we've talked obviously about the storied rivalry that is Peterborough-Oshawa, but have they, have they filled you in, Mark, on Windsor-London? Because uh, you got some living up to do there too. Oh yeah, I've been filled in for sure. And yeah, for those games... Obviously, uh, being around Craig Berube, too, he's best friends with Dale Hunter. So I've heard a lot from Dale over the last couple of years when they talk on the phone and you know, on speaker or whatever. So to hear his insight and, and, and know what they're doing, you know, hopefully I have a little bit of a handle on it. But I'm, I'm looking forward to those games. I know London has a bit of a younger team, probably still a great team because, you know, they draft really well and a lot of guys like to go to London. So but again, I'm really confident with the group we have. I think we're going to put up a good fight. And, and obviously I can't wait for that game against London Knights as well. If anybody's in a bar and sees Craig Berube and Dale Hunter sitting at a table, look the other way. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> that is a scary table. Unless you're a bartender because you got to go back and forth often, often. Very, very often. Um, <laughs> kind of going off normal questioning, I guess. You talked about how you were an equipment guru. Who had the worst tape job you've ever played with? The worst tape job I've ever played with. I know you uh, like your tape jobs. Yeah, there was there were some bad ones. Well, I, like a guy like Glenn Murray, like he he didn't care about his stick. Like so, he would tape it at the beginning of the game, and then end if three pieces were off his stick, by the third, he'd still go out with it. And I'd be like, come on, I was, like I can't pass to you. Like like I'm not going to pass to you if you use that stick. So he kind of got a little better, maybe taped it a little more, but he he was pretty bad. Why does it matter so much? Is it as much superstition as anything else? I don't know. I just feel like, you know, you're not going to use a pen that doesn't work. Like, why would you use a stick that's not taped? I, I I don't know. It's maybe something I just felt like, take care of your, take care. I always said, take care of your stick and it'll take care of you. So uh, that's kind of been my motto when, when I did my taping twig stuff on YouTube and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I just kind of, I've always felt that way. You seem like, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem like the type of guy that 
was very superstitious and meticulous in his preparation for game, putting on, you know, shin pads at the exact same time, left side, then right side, retaping the stick three times a game. Was that you? I could write a book. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Could you take us through it? I had way too many things. I had way too many things going on, but it, but it kept your mind occupied. Like you were, you had so much to do and you just kept, it was all in order. It was such a, you know, such an agenda that I had to do this, 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 and then it was game time. So it kind of kept your mind occupied. So you weren't thinking about, you know, the 20,000 in the building and the, and the coach being on you. It was just, I have to do this and I'm ready to go. So it kind of works out, but again, at the end, who I don't even know how many things I had. I'd be interested to check off a list for sure. You're going to have to find things, Mark, to keep your mind occupied now back on the bus because there are some roadies coming your way. Are you, are you ready for being back on the buses? Oh, I, that's one thing that maybe I didn't come to mind when I took the job. But again, we're not going out east at all this year. So it's a, a bit of an easier travel system in the first year. So we'll get through it. But to, again, yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, hopefully the next couple of years we find a way to fly places here in the OHL if everything gets, gets back to normal. I'm wondering if that preparation that you had, the meticulous preparation as a player, will now transfer over to the meticulous preparation as a coach. Is it going to be like we're an hour away from you know the pregame talk? Now we'll put on my tie. I'll do a couple stretches. Now the jacket. And it's, is it going to be as meticulous? You think? For sure. I, I mean, like, I'm already dialed. You know, the guys like, why do you got so many colored pens? Well, we play these different colored teams. Like, what do you, you just down with a black pen all the time or a blue pen? No, you got to. So I've been doing that, and I got the you know I got. The, the printing going like I'm a nice printer. The guy's like, you print like that all the time. I'm like, yeah, why, why would you write messy? So, but anyway, yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, on that stuff, uh, dialed in. I like everybody to be organized, especially in the room here. Like I feel like I'm cleaning up after everybody, but again, it's, it's just something that I, I it just bugs me and I got to have it perfect. And, uh, hopefully the guys, you know, learn off of that, you know, the little things, you know, end up being better for them when the big things come along. You just made Popers day because this guy and his damn pens in the broadcast booth, holy Hannah, all the time with a different color. Jeez. Uh, no, I love it. I got the, I got the markers. I got the pens. I got them all for every color team. And uh, even when I was in the NHL, the boys were like, come on, man. Like, you don't need to do that. You don't have to have purple. We're playing the Kings. They're wearing their purples. tonight. I got purple. Guys. What's, what's wrong with that? I personally love it. So, just before we let you go, I mentioned at the outset, uh, it's kind of like full circle for you. Does it feel that way? I mean, obviously from the Oshawa Generals and franchise uh, points, do you still own that record and, and back into the league as, as a head coach? Is this the way the Mark Savard story was supposed to go? I think so. I, uh, like you said, you know, I was able to win a Stanley Cup. Um, so, you know, coming back this way and, and trying to get your name on the Memorial Cup would be a, a real goal and, you know, a real ending to, to uh, you know, a pretty good story. So, I'm excited. Uh, I know there's a lot of work ahead. Maybe not happened in your first year, you know, maybe your second year, who knows. But, you know, hopefully I'm in no rush to leave here. I, I, I told Billy that if it's six, seven years, I don't know. But I'm not in any rush to get to the NHL. This is where I want to be. So, uh, you know, financially, I'm lucky enough to be fine that way. And I'm just real excited at the what the future holds. Uh, Real quick, 800 plus games in the National Hockey League. You talked about Gretzky and I'm sure he'd be the answer. So if we can eliminate him, was there a player in the National Hockey League that you played with or against where you were like watching him play or whatever? And you're thinking, man, this guy is unbelievable. 
Well, when you said that, two come right to mind. Obviously, I got to play against Mario, and, you know, he went through Hodgkins. He came back. I can remember playing in Pittsburgh. Uh, I had I had two goals and assists and ended up minus three that night somehow. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, Mario had a hat trick and five points, and mine must have been on the power play or something. So that was that was incredible. But Alexi Kovalev, too, in New York. I mean, this guy, I, I've never seen anything like it. Still to this day, the power, the finesse, the ability to see guys – the moves, the, the side to side. I mean, the, the list goes on. And there's there's a YouTube video where he sits at center ice and he shoots, I don't know, 30 pucks in a row on top of the net from center ice. Like, I'm lucky to get one out of 30 pucks. So it's he's a pretty special person and player. And uh, those are two guys that jumped to mind. I like the YouTube video of him one hand backhand, like ringing it off the bar. And it looks like someone's forehand shot. That's normal. Yeah. And his stick was only up to just above his waist, which was incredible too. The power he was able to generate with 150 flex was amazing. But seeing guys like that and that you can admire even as peers in the National Hockey League gives you the opportunity here, Mark, to, to talk to the kids that you're coaching now and let them know exactly what it takes to make the, the jump from where they are to where they want to be. Well, and, and that's the great thing I have already noticed early is that when I want to, you know, I, I don't want to speak often. But when I do speak, it's meaning and it's and then I have everybody's attention. I seem like that's the way so far. So I let Jared and, and Andy do a lot of the talking with, you know, drills and stuff like that. But if there's something to be said about, you know, we're not doing this right. You know, we need to do this better. This is what we're doing in the D zone. You know, I speak and I can just tell I have everybody's attention. So hopefully I can keep that up. And, and, and I think they really respect that, you know, I've played the game. I've been there. I play with all these guys, you know. I haven't shared a lot of stories yet, but obviously I have so many to share with them that I think I'll keep them, you know, interested. In the in the minimal training camp you've seen thus far, what do you expect from this year as a league? Because Mike and I have talked at length about it, just about two rookie crops coming in and a much younger league of what kind of hockey we're going to expect. Well, I mean, that's we don't know. So that's the big thing. We don't know. We got kids that are second-year guys that haven't played in the league. Like, are they going to be good in this league? We We don't know that. We think. From what we've seen, yeah, we got a good core uh, of second-year guys, but they haven't played in the league. So we don't know what we're getting. I think all teams are looking like that right now. So the better you can prepare yourself for the season and, and be ready to compete, I think you're going to be, you know, ahead of the game. You know, we got a good goaltender in Xavier Medina, so that we're a little comfortable there. You know, we got a second-round draft pick in Downey in his backup role. So we've got good goaltending. We've got a big defense core, really good, strong defense core. And up front, like I said, we're going to have some mixed scoring. we got a, nine guys at camp. So I think if everything goes as planned, you know, we're, we're going to have a good start. And I think that's where it's going to be the focus. It might be a little sloppy early, but whoever's coaching the best and getting their teams ready, maybe get off to a great start. It's really good to have you back in the league. Uh, thanks for taking the time to share some stories with us today. No, I really appreciate you guys having me anytime. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto 
Bitcoin and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.